is from the Gospel of John. We continue in the Gospel of John with chapter 14, verses 23 through 29. Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will, co- we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. Grace and peace to you, beloved. I'm Amy Wilson-Felt, the pastor of Morning Star Church. I'm coming to you in this format because I am still testing positive for COVID-19. My family is on the mend, and we are grateful for that. We're also really grateful for all of your support, for your phone calls and your text messages and your email messages and the meals that you dropped by and the care packages that you sent, all of it was so greatly appreciated. We're so fortunate to belong to such a loving community. And it is my hope that I will be with you in person next week. Last week, we began a two-week sermon series about the gifts of Jesus. So this week, we are going to take a look at a scripture passage from John chapter 14. Those verses actually were just read for you this morning. So let us take a deep breath. And let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Zachary is my oldest nephew. He is my only sister's only son. He turned 14 years old in January. When Zachary was a baby, I made frequent visits to his home, the home that he shared with his parents, which was a couple of hundred of miles away from my own home. Right around the time Zachary reached about a year and a half, maybe two years old, he became increasingly aware of my need to leave toward the end of the visit. Anytime I would begin putting on my shoes or searching for my keys, Zach would disappear for a moment only to return with something in his hand, something to give me, something 
uh, like one of his toys, a book, maybe an item from the kitchen. At first I smiled and I said thank you and I told Zachary that he should hang on to those items and keep them at his house so that we could play with them when I returned. And that's when I saw those big brown toddler eyes fall. I saw those little shoulders droop and I realized that I had made a mistake. My sister would look at me with those weary mom eyes and mouth to me, Amy, please just take his gifts. We can sort it out later. His gifts. I had been so slow to understand. He was giving me gifts and I was refusing them. I've reflected on this experience often over the years. It became a ritual between Zach and myself. Anytime I would leave him, he would send me home with parting gifts, and I would put them in the trunk of my car, and I would drive around with them until I could return and sneak them back into his house on my next visit. I've been careful ever since that first exchange not to refuse any gift from my nieces or nephews or even my own children at this point. But I've also noticed, especially in my service in the church over the years, we often decline gifts from each other, especially gifts of help. Maybe we don't want to be a burden on other people, or maybe we just really believe we know the best way to do something and it's easier to do it ourselves than to explain it or have someone else do it in a different way. So we politely decline the offer, the gift. We even do this sometimes with the gifts of Jesus. Last Sunday, as I said, we we launched a two-week series called Two Gifts from Jesus. And love is the first gift that we unwrapped together as we remembered that Jesus actually said that we would be known by the way that we love one another. We would be known as his followers by the way that we love one another. And we concluded that we can only fully accept the gift of Jesus when we're willing to give it away. We know we have fully accepted the gift of love when we are willing to give it away. In the passage that we read today, Jesus begins again with this idea of love as a marker of those who follow him. And these words are shared in what is known as the farewell discourse. We find the farewell discourse in chapters 14 through 17 of the Gospel of John. Jesus shares these words after the Passover meal, but before he is arrested on the night before he's crucified. These are beautiful passages, beloved. So if you have not read them recently, I really encourage you to do so. Jesus, in these verses, speaks about the power of love, about the nature and work of the Holy Spirit, about the call of the children of God to live in unity with one another. He also talks about peace. Jesus talks about peace. Specifically, as we read in our passage today, he offers peace to those who would follow him, even after he's no longer with them in the same way that he has been for the past three years. He's saying farewell, remember, and peace is his parting gift. He says it so plainly. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. In the midst 
of all that he was facing and all that his friends would witness and experience and endure just in the next three days, Jesus chooses to give peace. A common understanding of peace would describe it as freedom from disturbance. Some might call it a period without war, tranquility. That describes just about nowhere in just about any time in history. The truth is that war in any time and place casts a shadow on the peace among humans anywhere and everywhere because we just cannot seem to learn our lesson. Jesus couldn't have been talking about that kind of peace. He wasn't the kind of teacher who would raise hopes just to crush them, nor was he the kind of rabbi who would paint a beautiful picture of paradise and talk only about some day. No, when Jesus preached, he cast a vision of what life can be like right now, right now, and he demonstrated it with his actions. So when he says to his friends, just before all hell is about to break loose for them, I give you peace, he's talking about something more than the absence of disturbance. Jesus' brand of peace, beloved, is the equivalent of truth and light and life itself. The gift of Jesus of peace is everything that's needed for a meaningful existence. Jesus' gift of peace is everything that is needed for a meaningful existence, regardless of what is going on around us or even within us at times. Because Jesus also said in this world we would have trouble. That statement can be found in our holy text too, just a couple of chapters later in this same farewell discourse. He also says in the Gospel of Matthew that he understands that his very existence and his teaching can cause division in communities and even in families to the point that the peace is disturbed. But that's a false peace anyway. It's not the kind of peace that Jesus gives. And now we're getting to the point. In the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, in a series of blessings, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Notice that Jesus did not say, Blessed are the peacekeepers. The distinction is important. Peacekeeping is maintaining a truce. The work of keeping the peace is preserving some prearranged agreement or unspoken rule, avoiding any recurrence of disturbance. The energy in peacekeeping is all about not making waves. Jesus did not say anything about peacekeeping. Peacemaking is the process of bringing about peace, especially through reconciliation. The work of making peace is found in bringing people together, people who are at odds with each other, bringing them together in a genuine and healthy way. It requires naming the pain, recognizing the destruction, setting expectations of different patterns of behavior rooted in humility and forgiveness. It is work. In other words, peacemaking is work of the most difficult kind and Jesus says that this is the work of the children of God, making peace. In the past couple of decades, a third term has been making its way 
into the vocabulary of diplomats and lawmakers and activists and ordinary people like you and me. It's called peace building, peace building, and it's all about creating and sustaining peace in times and places of great conflict. Now, this term can be really helpful for us as we consider the nature and the value of Jesus' gift of peace. First of all, it acknowledges the reality of the conflict. This is not a false peace that ignores pain and division. Secondly, while the ongoing work of sustaining peace is part of this process, it's not lifted up as some lofty, unattainable ideal. Because for something to be sustained, it must first be created. And that's the third part that I really like about this concept of peace building. This positive notion of creation Peace building is not just about stopping war or maintaining an equilibrium. It's about creating something, which requires a life-giving energy. Now, you may know that 12 young people from Morningstar are participating in a confirmation class on Wednesday nights. When we talked about who God is and we talk about what God does, we use the language of creation. God is our creator, the creator of the whole universe, and God continues to create within us and around us. We also talk about how we are created in the image of God, which means we are created to be creative. We are created to create as well, but only God can create out of nothing. When we create, we are using pieces of God's creation. Human beings are created to be creative with God's creation, in other words. And this is how peace can work, too. This is the kind of peace that Jesus gives, his own peace. Peace that's already been created by the love that God has for us. Peace that has been reinforced by the life-saving work of Jesus. Peace that can be recreated in our own lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. None of this means that we will never encounter conflict. None of this means that we will escape all pain or loss in this life. The disturbances of life will remain, and they'll head directly toward us sometimes, into our hearts, into our homes. With the peace of Jesus, we will be prepared to withstand such difficulty, to deal with the fallout around us, and even with our own grief within. Perhaps that's what it means to build our house on a rock. This is a story that Jesus tells at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, it's the tale of wise and foolish builders. It begins a lot like our passage for today as well, with Jesus saying, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person who built a house on a rock. The rain came down. The streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, but it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Beloved, in this life, the rains are going to come down. The streams are going to rise, the winds are going to howl and push against everything that we hold 
dear. But if we've built our houses on a firm foundation, if we've allowed the peace that Jesus gives to be built up within our hearts and our souls and our minds, we shall not be overcome by the storm. Now, I'll admit that that's a lot for one gift to deliver. But remember, gifts are not just given for the delight of the receiver. Gifts reveal something about the giver, too. All those years ago, as I drove around the state of Texas with gifts from my young nephew in the trunk, I pondered why it would be important for Zachary to give me seemingly random items from his home, from his nursery. It occurred to me one day that as Zach was processing my leaving, he wanted me to know that I was not going out empty-handed. He wanted me to have something to remember him by, as the saying goes. He wanted to remind me of where I belong so I just might return again. And soon. Beloved, it is not so different with the peace of Jesus. The peace that Jesus gives does not leave us empty keeps Jesus front and center for us and reminds us of where we belong. The peace of Jesus does not leave us empty. It does not leave us empty. The peace of Jesus keeps Jesus himself present before us. And the peace of Jesus reminds us where we belong and to whom. This is also the job of the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the guide who teaches us, who supports us, the one who builds the peace within us day by day as we face our fears with love and grace. Beloved, the way I look at it, none of this is anything that we can afford to refuse right now. Love, peace, life itself, the power of the Holy Spirit to help us build something with our lives that's worth the effort? What could be more important than that? The really good news is that Jesus is standing before us, offering us these gifts. Now to receive them, to receive the gifts of Jesus and to use them to build a meaningful existence with the help of the Holy Spirit, that choice is ours. Amen. Amen.